Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you. If you've got a Bible, could you go to Luke chapter 11, please? Luke chapter 11. We're going to get there eventually today. Okay, what, um, first of all, let me explain why I'm wearing a Gopping Ping t-shirt. Yesterday, some of the things I do for fun is I like to go and run races. Myself and Ben, part of the leaders here at the church, we went yesterday and we ran a race. Uh, We did just over 30 miles um, and it hurt a lot. Um, but we made it to the end, they gave us a pink t-shirt, and my wife said, you've got to wear this too, if you've got it, flaunt it, kind of thing, so it's not my usual fashion thing, my fashion sense isn't that much better, but it's better than this, and so here I am, I'm fine, we made it, um, stairs are still a struggle, but um, I am proud of our achievement, we had a great time running around uh, the waterways of Nottinghamshire, running through ploughed fields and the like, we got very muddy, um, but we did make it around all the 30-plus miles, and that's the kind of thing I do for fun. Now, what we're going to do today is the next part of our series, uh, Teach Us to Pray. And what we were looking at from the beginning of the year, we felt God talk to us about this and that we were going to learn and grow in the area of prayer. And to do that, we were going to run a, do a couple of things as a church Um, to help us in this area. The first one would be the prayer course that we were going to run this through our life groups, which we started um, a few weeks ago. Uh, So if you're not connected to one of our life groups, you are missing out on this, and we think it's an important thing we're doing. It's an important thing God's speaking to us about as a people, so you need to get connected. If you're not connected, please find one of the welcome team, they'll point in the right direction. Come and grab one of the leaders. We'll introduce you to some people, get you plugged into our life group, uh, one of our life groups, and you can do the prayer course. We've done th- uh, two weeks of it. We had our first week about why pray, and we've learned about keeping it simple, keeping it real, and keeping it up. And then we had the second week um, about using uh, the monomic P-R-A-Y and helping us to pray and all that. Last week, we gathered together to prayer. We had our church at prayer meeting, so there were no life groups. And we had a fantastic time there praying for the churches um, in Central Sutton Coalfield that we have relationship with through churches together. And so we had members of those churches come and join us, and we got to pray for them, pray for the churches. It was excellent. And so this week... In your life group, you're going to do part three of the course entitled Petition, all about asking God um, for things for our needs. So please make sure you're at life group this week. If you are going to miss it, you can catch up online. We'll send the links out uh, to the videos. You can watch it and just so you're aware of what we're going. So that's the prayer course, which is going really well. I've heard so many positive things from life group members, life group leaders, great discussions, great times of prayer, lots of provocation. Um, to how we can build prayer into our lives, talking to God. So we've had a really good time now. The second thing we were going to do was our, prayer, uh, our sermon series, which we're doing now, Teach Us to Pray, where we're looking at Jesus' response to this question that his disciples asked him. So the disciples went and spoke to Jesus, and they said to him, Teach us to pray, and this is the only thing recorded in the Bible that Jesus taught his followers to do explicitly. And so what we ended up there, we end up with what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And so this is Jesus teaching his followers how to pray, and we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, going through it bit by bit, and we've seen how the Lord's Prayer covers so many aspects of life, 
our life, our spiritual life, our physical needs. It talks about God and what he would want for us. It talks about things that we need to pray into for ourselves. We saw it was a family prayer, so it's not me and I, it's us and our. And so we pray it not for ourselves, but for our families in terms of the the family of God in its widest context. And so it's not a prayer you can pray selfishly. You have to pray for others in it because the way it's built and structured. And we've looked at the first part of the gateway to prayer, which is simply a word Jesus used, Father. When we pray, we're coming for God as our Father. And he's the one we're speaking to who loves us and is for us. And we can come with him in boldness and confidence. But also we remember that he is God of the universe. He dwells in heaven. So we also come with reverence and awe to him. So we've seen that one. And then last week we looked at hallowed be your name. What it means, the first part of the prayer. How we holy God's name and what that means to us. And why that's important and why that comes as the first petition in the prayer. So we've done that. We've also been throwing out um, some tips for prayer, things you can build into your life to help you grow and pray. And we've done a couple of them this week. We're going to have a third one. And so the first tip we said about helping you with your prayer life is to read books on prayer. I recommend a couple of books, When You Pray, by Philip Graham Ryken, and Prayer by Timothy Keller, which are just great books. One of them's about the Lord's Prayer, very specifically. One's a general book about prayer. If you haven't read them, have um, a get into them, help you fuel your prayer life. The second thing we said was pray with others. The New Year challenge that I set for us as a people is whenever you um, meet and you're with other Christians, just spend a moment in prayer. Wherever you, whatever context, we're having food with them, you're out for a walk with them, you meet them at the school gates, whatever it is, you pray. We had a moment on the run yesterday where I wasn't feeling happy, Ben prayed. That was a good thing. I wasn't in the mood to pray. I, I had... I had more angry thoughts in my head. But he prayed, we got around, so we just prayed. So that's brilliant. And the third tip I want to put to you today is this. Have a place and a plan. Have a place and a plan. When it comes to prayer, it's good to pray in any and every opportunity. When you're out and about in life, and just when things come up and work with kids and you just cry out to God. But it's also good to have something in your life which is set, something which is going to happen. Have a place in your life where you know, when I go there, this is when I pray. And this could be anything. It could be a chair in your lounge. It could be a place in your bedroom. It could even be the car. When I get in the car to drive to work or whatever, I'm going to spend time here praying and build it into your life as a habit. For me, I have, we have a room downstairs where I've kind of got a desk um, and a chair where I do a lot of my work, some in prep, but at the beginning of the day, when I go there, that's where I pray. That's where I do my business with God. So I have my place. So when I'm there in the morning, I've done it enough now, so a habit, something triggers in your brain saying, this is, I'm going to pray now. Because that's why I'm here. That's what happens. So think about your life. Think about where you go, what you do. Have you got a place where you can pray? If you haven't, think about where can I go? What can I do? Somewhere I need to sit. Some people like to walk. How does your life work out? Have a place for prayer. And the second thing is have a plan for prayer. Because when you're going to pray, build a prayer life, a regular one, preferably daily if you can, you need to know what you're doing. Sometimes it's great. I'm going to play. I pray. I've got my place. I've read some books on it. I've kind of I've fueled myself up. When you get there and it's just you 
and God your Father, what are you actually going to pray about? And so have some kind of plan. It can be a very simple plan, or today I'll pray about this, or the next day I'll pray about this. Um, let me show you what I've done. I've used this for years, and I nicked this off another church planter that I found um, when he shared it at some training I had many, many years ago. And so I've got my, um, do you want to pop, pop it up? This is my prayer plan. And I have it for five days, because I think seven days is sometimes a bit optimistic with life. So I never do five days a week, and I basically pray for these things on these days, kind of as it works out. I always pray for my family first, so they come across every day. So that's Mel and my two sons, uh, Levi and Asher. So they get prayed for, and then on Monday, I pray for my family, being my parents, um, Mel's uh, parents and mine. Then on Tuesday, I pray for my kind of wider family, the siblings and the nieces and nephew. On Wednesday, I pray for the leadership team of the church. Thursday, I pray for the church as a whole, depending on what's going on there. And then Friday, I pray for those in authority over us, because Paul says we should do this in Romans. So I pray for our mayor and our council and our, even our prime minister um, and everything that's going on there, plus our leadership of the church we're a part of, and also Andy and Heather Martin, who's been giving us oversight. They're now in Cairo. So that's kind of my plan, and so it gives me some format that when I sit down to pray... I know what I'm praying for. And if you flick the next one on, this is what it kind of looks like by the time I finish the week. I jot with it, I doodle, because it helps sometimes keep my mind concentrated. I blacked out a few things there because they're personal stuff, so I didn't want people to see them. But there's what I do. I always pray for my family. They'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're growing wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. That's my prayer for them all the time. Every day I pray for both of my kids and Melanie. That's what happens. And I pray for our parents. They have strength of days. I pray for family. There's some of them aren't saved. They get saved. I pray for the leaders, some specific things. Got the prayer course there I've been praying for because it was whatever week two of the prayer course. Some of the things I do, we started new life groups, sermon series. I pray for that, that God's word has impact on our life. And, um, oh, yes, I do the, I, I skip. You notice the 16th, the 19th. I didn't do Friday, Saturday. So Friday became Sunday. So I pray for the church. Um, and that God will pour out his spirit on us. So that's just something I do. But whatever it is you do, have something in your mind. So when you come to prayer, you're not thinking about, what do I pray for? You've got some focus. You've got some direction. So there's something I challenge you, encourage you to try as you're getting into prayer um, and doing it. Have a place. Have a plan. So when you sit down to pray, you know what it is. I know some people pray through one petition of the Lord's Prayer a day. You've got kind of five of them, five days. You can pray into that. It can be whatever you want. This has worked for me for years, so I'm still doing it, still going. Okay, let's get to Luke 11 and look at what we're going today. So, if you've got your Bible, let's read our passage. It says this. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we, forgive our, uh, we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So the Lord's Prayer appears twice in our Bibles, here in Luke 11, also in Matthew 6. Jesus taught it, there's two places in each one, it's slightly different, this is a slightly shorter version. The Matthew 6 one is slightly longer, has a few more words. 
And the reason for that, scholars tell us, is because this would have been a pattern of prayer that Jesus would have taught his followers probably on many, many occasions. So it's not always the same, but it gives us a frame and outline for which we pray. Not as a mantra that we learn per se, although it's good to know it by heart, because then you've always got it in your mind to pray through. But actually, these are areas that we should be praying into. And we've looked at the structure of the prayer. It begins with our Father. It's the gateway. And then the prayer is then made up of five petitions. Five petitions. Five formal requests we're making to God. And we've seen that these requests are things that we should ask of God forcefully and boldly and confidently. Because he's our Father in heaven who loves us, wants good for us. He's also the God of creation so he can answer them Plus, he himself in Christ told us to pray them. And so when we pray them, we know we can do it with great faith and confidence, knowing that that his will is to meet them to answer our prayers. And so we've got the five petitions. It's hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and there's forgiveness of our sins as we also forgive, and then finally lead us not into temptation. And we've seen that the prayer begins... The priority of the prayer is God. First as Father, and then we've got hallowed his name and your kingdom comes. So the prayer begins with God, and then it comes on to us. So we, um, we ask for our provision, our pardon, and our protection. And so we've come to the second petition today, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. If you've missed the first two, um, please catch up there online, just so you're kind of aware of where we're going. But we're going to look at today this um, petition that we ask in our prayer that Jesus taught us is that we've, uh, we've approached our Father, we've asked for his name to be made holy in all the world, but also now specifically your kingdom come. So, three words there, your kingdom come. First word, your. The, this means this prayer is still about God. So we're on to our second petition and we're still talking about him. Father, your um, hallowed be your name, and now your kingdom come. We haven't got to ourselves yet. So as we pray, our focus is always God first. He's the one we start with. He's the one we should be looking to. He's the one that our eyes should be upon. So very often in our selfish hearts, we always come, come to us. What do we need? Which God is totally fine with. He's just actually, just wait for that. That's actually next week with Jeremy. We'll get to us. But actually... First and foremost, we should start with him, recognizing who he is, recognizing his character, recognizing his greatness, recognizing that he is awesome, mighty, and holy. And so we're going to pray for this. And so he says, uh, begins, your kingdom comes. Now, this is not our kingdom. So often we're keen on wanting to build our kingdom, our influence. What's in it for me and my, and how can I get more and be kind of better and promotion or just be known and, and all those things. And actually, this is the opposite of that. This is our priority and focus should be about God and his kingdom. So it's all about your, it's all about him. So the second one then is kingdom. Kingdom. Now, let's just explain a little bit what this is about, go into this in a little bit more depth. We have this word kingdom. Now, the Bible, you can look at the whole story of the Bible in a number of ways. One of the ways to look at it is that it is a story of two kingdoms. It is a story of two kingdoms being worked out. And each one has its own people, its own desire, and its own destiny. The first is the kingdom of God, God's kingdom. And this is ruled by God. Its people are God's loyal subjects, loyal followers. Their desire is for God and his glory. 
There is a desire to be in relationship with him, to follow his laws, follow his way, live um, in his creation and honor and give him glory. And the ultimate destiny is for God to rule over his people, over all the heavens and all the earth. And so that's God's kingdom. And then opposed to that, we have man's kingdom, which is ruled over by the enemy, the Bible tells us. And so this man's kingdom contains men and women who are in rebellion to God, which includes the devil and the demons. They are all in rebellion against God and his rule. They love themselves and their priority is themselves and their own fulfillment and everything that they want to for their own desires and not for God. In fact, they hate God. They, they want nothing to do with Him. They're not interested in Him. And their ultimate destiny is to fail and face God's judgment. And so throughout the Bible, you can see these two kingdoms being worked out. And history is really a story of their conflict and clashing because they are completely opposed to one another. And it begins back in the garden. You go to the garden and you see God creates the heaven and the earth. And he puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And he says to them, you can kind of rule over it all. Go be fruitful, multiply, create. Just, just be there. You're, you're kind of my children in my kingdom. And so we see that at the beginning. And then what happens? We see that they rebel. They're tempted by the devil. And they rebel and they say, God, we don't want to be part of your kingdom. We don't want part of your rule and what you're doing. We want to be in charge. We want to rule. We want to be able to say what's right and wrong and kind of be the center of everything. And from that point, you have this rebellion and breakdown. And then from then on, you have this ongoing conflict between the two kingdoms. And God breaks in and again and again. And he breaks in in Genesis 12 and he speaks to Abraham. And he says, well, I'm going to call you out. And I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And you're going to be my people. I'm going to make a covenant with you, an agreement. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so God is establishing his kingdom there. And Abraham has a son, Isaac, who has a son, Jacob, who has 12 sons, who then go down to Egypt. And they multiply and multiply, and suddenly you've got a nation of God's people there. But one then the clash of the kingdom comes, because... They grow up and they're in Egypt and Pharaoh comes and he oppresses God's people. He oppresses them. He doesn't want them to be kind of threatening him and his rule because they're so numerous and they're so prosperous. So he orders the murder of the children. And so you see this clash of kingdoms. But then God sends Moses and he brings the people out of Egypt. He says, you will come out and you will be my people and you're going to worship me on the mountain. And I'll take you to the land that I promised way back to Abraham and you will be my people then. So they come out and they're in the promised land and they establish the kingdom. But then, even then, it all goes wrong because Israel then rebel. God, we don't want you as our king. We want our own kings. We want to be like all the other nations around about. So give us a king. And what we see there and what begins there is a long, slow spiral of dissent for God's people as they continually rebel against God, continually rebel against his rule. We have moments, high points. King David, 
Solomon at some point and occasionally one or two other kings who kind of do well. But eventually their rebellion just leads them down and down and down. So eventually um, the kingdom split and they are both destroyed and the people of God are taken off into exile, into foreign lands. And you see the conflict of the kingdoms there. The people rebel against God ultimately there is judgment. But then we flip over and we get to the New Testament. And what do we find? We find the king has come to his kingdom. And Jesus is born, and he's born where? In Bethlehem. What's significant about Bethlehem? Well, it is the royal town, the birthplace of David, King David, the greatest of Israel's king. And the wise men come and say, where's the king being born? So even they got it, the pagan scholars from another land. There's a king around here. But then we get the clash of kingdoms because Herod says, well, I'm going to kill all the kids in Bethlehem, just like Pharaoh tried to try and snuff out this kingdom. But it doesn't work. Jesus goes down to Egypt. He returns back out of Egypt. Same imagery there of the Exodus. He grows into a man and then he starts preaching. And if you ever read in your Bible, what's the first thing Jesus preaches? Matthew 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. That kingdom that you've been waiting for, has now come. The kingdom of God is here. I'm here. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll find Jesus mentioned kingdom over, well, over a hundred times when he talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. You'll find that in Matthew. But they're the same thing. God, he preaches about those things. So that's what he was. And he demonstrates the kingdom. He preaches, proclaims good news. He heals the sick. He casts out demons, he performs miracles, and you see God's kingdom with him. He loves the poor, the outcast, the broken. They run to him. He hangs out with the sinners. God's kingdom is being demonstrated. But of course, what happens? Opposition comes. He is rejected by the authorities who should know better. He is falsely accused. He's betrayed. And ultimately, he is murdered on a cross. But then, in vindication for his kingship, he rises from death, victorious. And as he's about to ascend into heaven, he says to his followers in Acts chapter 3, oh, sorry, Acts 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So even after Jesus' death and resurrection, I've got a topic in mind I want to talk to you guys about. What is it? It's about my kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus' coming to the earth was to bring in God's kingdom. That was his message from beginning to end. That's what he demonstrated. That's what he lived out. And he wanted to bring about God's kingdom. So let's just talk about what is God's kingdom. Well, simply put, God's kingdom is where God is ruling and reigning as king. Where God is ruling and reigning as king. It is not a geographical kingdom. We live, we currently are in the United Kingdom. You can look at it on a map. You can go to the edge of it. You can travel out of it. And then you can travel back into it. It's quite clear. It's quite defined. The kingdom of God isn't like that. It is where it is more dynamic. It is where God's rule and reign is taking place. So let's just look at three things about this kingdom to try and get our mind about it. We can look at the plan, the purpose, and the progress of God's kingdom. First of all, the plan for God's kingdom. 
The plan for God's kingdom is not that it comes around by force or political power or military might. In fact, the opposite. The plan for God's kingdom is that it comes about through humility, through suffering, and through death. Jesus himself demonstrated that. He came in total obscurity. The king of creation, born in a backwater town, in a kind of a, a not a palace, but a, whether it was a stable or a cave or a whatever, it wasn't particularly impressive. Laid in an animal's feeding trough. That is where he came, in obscurity. Even when he was grown and he rode into his city, Jerusalem, he was riding on a donkey. And it says, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey. Not an impressive retinue with a big war horse, loads of soldiers, nothing like that. He died a criminal's death, and he was placed in a borrowed grave. The prophet Zechariah said about him, looking forward, he said about, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. It's not coming through military might and military force. It was part of the problems with some of his followers. They didn't understand why Jesus wasn't gathering an army to kick out the Romans and, and create an insurrection of some kind, a rebellion. They didn't get it. And it's like, that's not the plan for my kingdom to come about. Paul later says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh and blood. They're not, they're not physical weapons that we use. We have weapons of prayer. We have weapons of God's word that we speak in. Weapons of love and humility. That's how we go about it. And so when you look at the growth of the early church through Acts, there is explosive growth of God's kingdom as the church grows and multiplies and spreads across the known world, ultimately reaching Rome, which is the, the epicenter of power at that point. And if you look about how the church came about, it was through suffering, it was through persecution, it was through humility and obscurity and being scattered and people just doing things. There was nothing kind of coordinated, a military effort where there were ads on Facebook and on the telly and leafleting and people out canvassing. It wasn't like that. That wasn't the plan for God's kingdom. His followers are to humbly serve those around them, love them. They are to proclaim Jesus. Every opportunity they get, they are to submit to his rule. They are to feed the poor. They're to train disciples, plant churches, pray for the sick, confront injustice and the works of the enemy. That is God's plan for his kingdom. The second thing, what is the purpose of God's kingdom? Well, the first thing is it's your kingdom, not our kingdom. So it's all about him. And God's purpose for his kingdom is to bring God's rule onto this earth. To bring God's rule onto his earth. The purpose of the kingdom is to reverse the effects of sin way back in the garden and restore a broken humanity to their relationship with their creator. That's what the purpose of the kingdom is about. And Jesus proclaimed this right at the outset of his ministry. He laid out his kind of mandate before he got going. And if you read the Gospels, you'll come across this. Go to the um, Gospel of Luke, which we've been in. If you track it back to Luke chapter 4, you find Jesus' first kind of public sermon, so to speak. He was in the synagogue and he got handed the scroll of Isaiah and he went to one bit and he read this out. It says, Luke 4, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to pray in liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who oppress, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the followers of Jesus have been doing that ever since. First and foremost, we proclaim the good news of Jesus. We proclaim that the King has come for his people. You can know him. You can be in relationship with him. You can have sin forgiven. You can know him as your Father in heaven. All those things are available because of what Christ has done. And it says they, 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 they set people free. Um, that can be from emotional, physical, um, uh, things that have, uh, that have bound them. We pray for the sick. We cast out demons. We confront injustice and speak out those who are poor and marginalized on the end. That's the plan. And bring men and women into relationship with their creator. Restore human dignity in every possible way we can. And that is the purpose of the church and has been since its inception when the the Spirit fell at Pentecost, and that's what he's asked us to do, and that's what the apostles preaches, and we carry on preaching the same gospel. The, the last thing is the progress of God's kingdom, and that's that we have to live in this reality that the kingdom of God has come. Jesus inaugurated that. He's someone that Paul quoted this morning. He said, it is finished. Jesus' work has been done on the cross. He died, and that was it, over, job done. The way is open. Men and women can come and have relationship with him. However, we live in a period where it is not fully realized. We haven't seen the fullness of God's kingdom come. We see it break in again and again, and I believe it will just increase in power and authority as we move towards that day when Jesus returns, but it's not here. Now, um, theologians like to describe it um, a bit like the Second World War, where there was the Normandy um, invasions on D-Day. If you know that, there was the Allied uh, invasion of uh, Northern Europe in France, and the, the troops went across, and on D-Day, they established a beachhead on, uh, on the Normandy coast. And when that had happened, historians kind of look back and say, at that point, World War II, the battle in Europe was effectively over because they had created this beachhead with the Allied forces, and behind that then came troops and armor and air support, and basically the clock was ticking on the Nazi regime. It was going down. It was merely a matter of time. And in less than a year, it was VE Day, and it was all over. And the reality is we live in that period. The, the battle's been won. We've had our D-Day. Jesus came, died, rose again. He proved he was king. I even defeated death, he says. You can know forgiveness through me. But we live in that period now where we are still many battles to fight, but the outcome is certain. There is no doubt of what's going to happen at the end. VE Day is coming, and it will come, and we will all experience it at some point. But actually, we live in this point now where there's... There is tension, there is fighting, there is conflict, there is still battles. There are things that look like great victories, and there's sometimes things that look like apparent setbacks. What happened there? But ultimately, the tide of God's kingdom is coming and flowing, and one day it will come in its fullness. We have to be careful. We don't see this like um, some kind of dualism. Star Wars, any Star Wars fans? You have the light side of the force and the dark side of the force, and they're kind of always in battle. Are they going to go which way? Is he going to turn? Is he not going to turn? Ooh. Jesus wins, period. That's it. There is, no, there is no doubt about anything happening. The outcome is set. The outcome is certain. 
God's kingdom is coming. And we are, we are called to demonstrate the current kingdom now, but we look forward to a, king, a day when the kingdom will come in his fullness. Jesus even said that at the Last Supper. He said, for I tell you that from now on, I won't drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus was even aware that actually I'm going through this now. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to ascend to heaven. And then at that point, when I come again, then I will drink the fruit of the vine again. Then there'll be a celebration. Then there'll be a feast. And if we go to the end of the book, we see a picture of the kingdom come in its fullness. Revelation 21, 22. When it talks about this kingdom where the people of God will be with their king in the new heavens and the new earth. And there'll be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears. And that's what it's going to be look like when the kingdom comes in its fullness. But we live on the other side of that. And we are waiting and waiting for it to break in in more and more. And Jesus said that the advance of his kingdom would be gradual. He taught parables about it. He talked about the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven where he says, you know, when you, uh, when you buy a mustard seed, it's, it's kind of really tiny. It's, it's the smallest of all seeds, he says. But when you plant it, but when it grows, it grows and grows and it becomes the greatest of all trees that the birds can kind of rest in it. He talks about the leaven, which is yeast. He said you put it into the dough. And it's so tiny, it's so insignificant, but when you, you knead it into the dough, suddenly it's everywhere. And it affects the dough, and you cook it, and the dough rises. And so the kingdom of God will ultimately affect everything. We're called as God's people to pursue it. Matthew uh, 6, Jesus says, Seek first what? The kingdom of God. That's first and foremost. Seek his rules, seek his reign. And then... <laughs> Everything else you get, you get added to. doesn't even specify what that is. But first and foremost, you seek the kingdom of God. And the last word there is come. Your kingdom come. We are, as God's people, to pray for God's kingdom to come. We are God's people. We are to pray to see his kingdom advance, to see it break out in this world. Um, the way theologians kind of describe it, trying to get sort of what's, what the Bible is teaching, they describe it as almost God's kingdom is hidden because it's here. It just needs to be revealed. It's almost like it's behind. Jesus is there in power, and there's a, there's a veil in front of it. And as we pray, the veil is, is moved aside, and the kingdom comes forth. And that's what we're to do. It's not like the kingdom needs to increase because it hasn't already arrived or Jesus is not here in his power. He's here, power, authority, fullness, total. But actually we're to pray that the curtain is parted just that bit more so more is seen, more people understand, more people know, more people are healed, more people are set free, more people uh, have injustice, more people are brought into families. All those kind of things are happening, and we are to pray that. And that is the second petition of God's prayer. We are to pray, God, your kingdom come on this earth. Your, God, your kingdom come more and more. And there are three areas I just want to apply it to us now. The first thing of application is that you need to enter God's kingdom. You need to enter God's kingdom. Before you can start praying about your kingdom come, you need to be part of it. You need to be one of the subjects you need to submit to his rule and reign. So if you are not a Christian here, that's your first step. You need to pray and enter God's kingdom. You need to turn away from your sin. Turn away from living your own way of life. Turn away from being the king of your little kingdom 
your insignificant, tiny kingdom and actually enter his glorious, magnificent, everlasting kingdom. You have rebelled against the creator of heaven and earth and you now need to repent and come to him and say, God, I want to be part of your kingdom. You need to receive forgiveness and wholeness and his spirit. He loves you. He's for you. He wants you. And you need to know fullness of life and purpose in him. You need to know what it means to be part of God's family. And so if you're not a believer here, that is what you need to do. You need to repent and come to him and become part of God's kingdom. And if that's where you are, I'd love to pray with you at the end. I'd love to talk to you. There are others here who can do that if you want to talk to them. But that's your first thing. If you are a believer here, said, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I follow God. I want to just challenge you. Are you submitting to his rule in all areas of your life? Remember what we did before Christmas? What was it? What was our sermon series? Ten Commandments. That is an outworking of what it means to live in God's kingdom, how we're supposed to live. And we went through every single one of them, and it got really uncomfortable and really personal and really specific as we looked at what it meant to be followers of Jesus. And so for us, we need to look at our life and think we need to look at all the areas. We need to look at our, our work life. We need to look at our family life. We need to look at our, our money how we interact with relationships and sex and church and all those things. And you need to ask yourself a very sobering question. Am I submitting to God's rule in those places? Because that's how God's kingdom comes, when I submit to God's rule in those areas. And if you're not, you'll know about it now because the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction. And he's just gently nudging you and saying, maybe there's an area you need to get sorted out. Maybe there's a situation you need to not be involved in or something you need to not doing. Or there might be something you need to start doing that you haven't been doing. Something you haven't been doing, something you haven't been saying. Maybe you've just been ignoring all this prayer stuff and actually thinking you need to take this prayer thing a little bit more seriously. Maybe it's an area of your money or how you treat colleagues at work or whatever it is. But if you're a Christian, you need to enter God's kingdom and have, him submit, have him, you submit to his rule in all areas of your life. The second thing we need to do is we need to pray for God's kingdom. We need to pray consistently. We need to pray passionately. We need to pray daily that God's rule would be revealed in more and more places. The places we find ourselves. The places where we stand, where we walk. Think about your own life. Think about where you go, what you do, how you're going to spend the next five, six days before we meet here again? What are the things you're going to be doing? You're going to pray for God's kingdom to come in your own life, that you say no to sin and yes to holiness and righteousness in all areas. What about your family and your home life and your relationships? You're going to pray for God's kingdom to come there, that they are places of truth and justice and honoring and righteousness where God's name is honored God's name is glorified. How you treat each other is honoring to him. What about your workplace, whether it's a paid job, full-time, part-time, whether you look after children with some of your time or you're even retired or you do voluntary work, that section we call work, you pray for God's kingdom to come there. That whatever I do, whatever I'm called to be, that I am living out the way God would have me live here with integrity and righteousness and diligence and honesty and transparency 
integrity, with love and grace and mercy to those around them, that I am ethical in my dealings. I'm not cutting corners, trying to be underhand, get ahead, build my kingdom at the expense of taking any note of God and his kingdom. What about even our nation and government that we pray for, that God's kingdom would break out in there? If there's any place in this country that I think it would be great to see God's kingdom break out, the one square mile of parliament would probably be a good one. There's a lot been going on over the last few years. I pray, it's one of the reasons I try and pray for those in authority as often I can, that God, that they would know your wisdom and the justice would prevail and there'd be healing and reconciliation in our nation and your kingdom would come. Even in our church, as we seek to follow God together, that God's kingdom would break out here in what we do in our meetings, that we would see people healed, we'd see people come in and join a family and get connected and pulled together. We pray for that regularly. And the last one, we're to demonstrate God's kingdom. I think the challenge when you pray this prayer is that you are to be the answer to your prayers. So when you, when you pray, God, break out your kingdom in my workplace, I think there's a sense of God said, that's a great prayer. It's in line with my will. I put it in the Lord's prayer. What are you going to do about it? I will empower you with my spirit. Brilliant. When you go into work Monday, Tuesday, whenever, how are you going to act? What are you going to say? What are you going to do when certain things come across your desk that may be a little bit unethical or someone just expresses a need or something? Are you going to be the one to say, let me, let me pray for you, let me counsel you, let me just help you, let me serve you, let me show love and grace and mercy to you because you're the weird member of the team that everyone thinks is a bit funny and they all ignore. Well, I will, I will go against that and I will show you the love that Jesus would do if he was here in this situation. And so as believers, we are to demonstrate God's kingdom in all the areas of life. We're number one, we need to proclaim the good news. At any and every opportunity, we are to tell people about Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. There is no other way to find meaning, purpose, fulfillment, family, connection, forgiveness, hope, but him. And he's the one we're to point to. We're also to be pray for the sick. We're to be excellent at our jobs, whatever it is. Do whatever you can as if you're working for the Lord. So whatever job it is, be the best you can at it. Whether you're a stay-at-home parent, high-flying business exec, or anywhere in between, you do those things well. We confront lies and deception whenever we find it. We speak out against injustice. We do what we can to feed the poor and serve the broken and the hurting. Love the outcast. Love the immigrant. Love the stranger and the alien who come amongst us. We're to confront the works of the enemy, his lies, his deception in our lives and everywhere we find them. And we're to see God's kingdom come. Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray. Can the band come back up? I'm going to pray for us that we would be men and women who would see God's kingdom come. Maybe you just want to close your eyes and open your hands. Holy Spirit of God, I pray. Ask now you come and fill us. Like when Jesus said at that sermon, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. We have the privilege, because we are in Christ, to say the same. (laughs) The Spirit fell at Pentecost on the church. We are your church. We have your Spirit in us. 
We've been made alive by the Spirit, born again by the Spirit. We've been filled with the Spirit. And so like Jesus, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. You need to claim that today by faith. If you're a believer here, that is true of you. And God, I pray that as we go from this place, that you would use us to see your kingdom come. Lord, I pray you would make us a praying people, that we would pray daily, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. I pray you would give us grace to seek first your kingdom, to pursue it, your righteous rule in our lives and in this world. And God, I pray as we go into workplaces and families and schools and social settings and friendship groups, uh, jobs and shops, that we would be men and women who demonstrate your kingdom. We would men and women who demonstrate your kingdom. Just like the disciples, the apostles, we pray you would give us grace to let your kingdom come. And sometimes that will just be in completely obscure, hidden ways because we'd just be serving someone and no one will know. But just like the leaven in the dough, it will just keep going through. And it doesn't matter how small or how insignificant you think your contribution is, Jesus said it will just keep multiplying. And Lord, when we face opposition and setback, even persecution, we pray you give us courage to keep going, knowing that this is how your kingdom comes about, through opposition, through humility, through not through glitz and glamour, but through just quiet serving day after day. I pray for our own lives, Lord, that you would highlight areas where we haven't submitted to your kingdom, to your rule, and you would cause us to be repentant, humble people would cry out to you for forgiveness, be filled with your spirit, seek, seek cleansing and then moving on. Some of you know now areas in your life, in your workplace, in your spheres in, that you know God is kind of putting them on your mind where you're thinking, this is where I think God is kind of calling me to outwork this, to demonstrate the kingdom. With this relationship, this particular team or group or social group or whatever and I'd love you to now pray that prayer for that pray for that name it and then say God your kingdom come there just call out to him on that Some of you know particular people that you need to talk to and interact with that you've maybe been avoiding. Pray for that now and pray, God, your kingdom come there. Some of you know difficult situations where you need to speak words of justice and righteousness and hope. Pray for that now. Some of you know there are people who you want to pray for and you know you should be praying for maybe God's given you opportunity I want you to pray for that and say God give me an opportunity to pray with that person to pray for that person that situation and show something of your love and your kingdom come in there 
Some of you just have that burning heart in your desire where you're saying, God, I want to seek first your kingdom. I just want that to be my heart, my priority, my, oh, that's what I want. Pray that for yourself. God, cause me to be someone who seeks first your kingdom, who goes after that number one in their life. Some of you might need to write that down and put it somewhere on a post-it note where you'll see it in the morning and say, God, this is, what am I going to do today? Well, I'm going to seek first God's kingdom. And Lord God, I pray for all of us that you would give eyes to see opportunities to let your kingdom come. That we pray in the morning, pray throughout the day, but when you let us to see opportunities to, to demonstrate your kingdom practically with people, to proclaim your name, to love and care and serve others, to pray for others, to stand alongside others, to speak out for the poor, the marginalized, the voiceless, the young, those who can't speak for themselves. Lord God, Holy Spirit, fill us now.